0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Good morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and you're listening to Southern Mini Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. Don't want to put anybody to sleep today, but that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. I hope I'm not going to lose anybody in that. I'm going to keep it as lively as possible. But sleep is sometimes, well, oftentimes taken for granted. But quality sleep is essential to everything from normal growth and development to school and sports performance. Today we'll be talking about some common sleep disorders and how they could be affecting your children. And as usual, we would love to hear from you with your questions or comments. You can reach us this morning live at one mpb ring That's one 877 Or send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org So sleep. Sleep is something that everybody does. Everybody has to do it. Uh, we have all kinds of sayings out there about you know, I just wish I had more time in the day. I hate that I have to go to sleep. Sleep is overrated. Uh, I get that one from my kids quite a bit. Like, sleep is overrated, Dad. Why are you making us go to sleep? So, you know, we all feel like that sometimes. But sleep is incredibly important and one of the most neglected things that you can do, or the most neglected things that your kids can do. And even if they're, if you think that they're getting enough, most of the time they're not. Or the quality of their sleep may not be what it needs. To be for them to uh, do all the things that they need to do, and most people will realize that you need good sleep patterns. And amount of sleep for normal activities, but one of those sort of things that uh, we 've just learned in the last thirty years or so is how important sleep is to growth and development, and all kinds of tissues depend on those cycles uh, to uh, uh, to do that and if you't don't, don't, uh, still don 't think that 's important, one of the Nobel uh, prizes this year went out to a group of scientists that sort of delved into this and in, uh, and looked at the mechanisms for the normal clock in our brains, in our tissues. Uh, each individual cell even has sort of normal clocks of awake and sleep cycles uh, that they use to regulate themselves. And it's if you live on this planet... Uh, you have to have some sleep, and good sleep's better than uh, than not good sleep, and some sleep's better than no sleep at all. You know, another thing that we, uh, since, you know, in training medical students and residents, one of the things that we look at now are the amounts of sleep in the medical field and other fields, of course, that rely on safety issues. Uh, one of the first uh, big industries that looked at this and uh, got it right on uh, limiting the amount of time that somebody would be working and making sure that they are rested in between is the airline industry, of course. But all kinds of public transportation have gotten on board, certainly truck drivers. Uh, those of you out there listening right now, you know how important it is to do that. You know the effects, whether you'd like to, uh, you know, tell other people or not, you know the effects if you don't get that sleep. So it is important for safety reasons, too, that we limit that and make sure that we're getting good sleep. So... Um what is the thing about sleep that's so important? That's a great question. We don't fully understand this, and that's one of the reasons I think why we take that for granted. Uh, or think about that this is just something that we can get by with. So sleep is important from the body standpoint for healthy growth and development. Uh, Growth hormone uh, regulation in the body. Growth hormone is a hormone that the body produces. Uh, It's gotten a lot of press in older individuals sort of as the fountain of youth hormone, uh, which is overrated. It's not exactly the fountain of youth hormone. It does have some side effects, but it's the hormone that regulates how fast uh the body's tissues grow it also has some other effects on the vitality of tissues and uh and how well all the cells in our body are working but growth hormone is regulated according to sleep patterns and again a lot of things are tied into uh sleep patterns in, in the body but growth hormone potential uh in in uh specifically in children and adolescents is very important uh that they Um, that they have adequate sleep so that that is secreted in adequate amounts. Lots of research in school and in work situations. I mentioned transportation industry that certainly looked at this, but also in school work, we know that Sleep deprivation is one of the main concerns among teachers. Uh, it has been tied to lower grades if you don't get enough sleep or if you have certain things that are uh, interfering with sleep. There's a lot of erosions around, particularly around when we go to sleep. Uh, you know, We'll talk in a little bit about some of the devices that we use that might be impacting our sleep, some of the sleep behaviors or sleep hygiene, as it's called, uh, that can be improved to increase your sleep. There are some common disorders that can be made worse by a uh, lack of good sleep. Um, ADD is one uh, good example of that. One of the things, uh, if we have a child that is diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or other learning disabilities, uh, they'll only be made worse if they're not getting good sleep. So one of the things we talk about with the families is the amount of sleep that they're getting. Sometimes we, uh, you know, if it's not very clear on that, we'll even do a sleep diary that can sort of imagine map out how much sleep that we're getting and what are some of the things that are affecting that. Uh, all the things that go on around that time, but a d d is one of the things that can can be affected. Hypertension is one uh you've heard me say before I have an interest in hypertension in kids and adults, and uh that's one of the questions that I routinely ask is how much sleep are you getting or do you feel rested or are you falling asleep during the day? Certainly, conditions that affect sleep like obstructive sleep apnea, other sleep apneas uh parasomnias can sometimes. Uh, affect good sleep patterns at night. And obesity is another one. If you don't get sleep, if you don't get enough sleep at night, that actually can increase your risk for obesity. Now, most people would say, well, I know obesity is a risk factor, say, for obstructive sleep apnea, but I didn't know it was the other way around. But that's true. So the less... Sleep you get, the more your body tries to hold on to calories, at least that's the theory behind that, and the more likely you are to be obese than non-obese. That's just a couple of examples of sleep deprivation and what it can do. Certainly memory and the way we lay those down, we know it's integral to uh, good sleep to do that. And again, lots of organizations, big organizations have looked at this. The military, NASA early on, uh, they've got some great data with some of the individuals that have in the International Space Station for prolonged periods of time uh, to help regulate those sleep patterns because it does affect their work. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're talking about sleep disorders this morning. Got plenty of time for you to ask your questions. Maybe you got a child that just, uh, his uh, behaviors change, his work at school has changed, and you're suspecting something may be going on with her sleep. Or maybe you have a younger child that's doing some strange things in the middle of the night, and you want to know what is going on. You can give us a call this morning with those questions, and we'll try to answer those at one mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send an email to kids at mpbonline dot org. One of the most common questions I get from parents when they bring their kids in is, uh or in particular new parents, is how much sleep should my baby be getting or my child be uh, uh be getting every night? And that does change over time. Uh newborns, if you can think back to that if you have a child and think back way back to that uh Uh, that time period. Usually they'll sleep anywhere from about 16 to 18 hours a day when they're first born. And of course, this is not all, unfortunately, all at one time. So it is fragmented uh, in the three, three to four hour periods, usually at the most, sometimes less than that. There may be some differences during the day and the night. And in particular, When the newborn and in the the newborn period for the first couple of months, uh, you know, the common thing is they they may have their days and nights mixed up. Uh, That's just just them getting used to those cycles of day and night. And there are some things you can do for that. But usually you're talking about a time period of about 16 to 18 hours total time per day. Um, If they're sleeping that much at a time, then there's a problem. Uh, Hopefully you're not dealing with that. And that lengthens out as they get older, but even, you know, it's a much slower than most people think. So in the first year of life, once they reach their first birthday, most children need anywhere from 12 to 14 hours Of sleep per day. Now, again, they may not get that at night. They may get, hopefully, by one year of age, you're getting at least six to eight hours, maybe even 10 hours of sleep a night with a nap uh, or two during the day. As they get older from there, uh, usually up towards three years of age, usually decreases from 10 to 12 hours per day. And then in the adolescent or pre-adolescent period, from seven to ten uh, or twelve years of, of age, you usually are getting about ten to eleven. And uh, as an adolescent, uh, you know most adolescents, if you look at studies, are getting anywhere from about six to eight hours of sleep per night. And uh, originally, we thought eight hours was a good round number for adolescents and adults. Uh, we know particularly for adolescents, and again, it's because of all those things that are going on uh, with their brains, with their bodies, they need. Anywhere from eight to, 8 to 10 hours of sleep, maybe even more. The more active your child is, they, that may mean that they need more sleep. Uh, so be, be wary of some warning signs of that child maybe having increased irritability, um, not getting enough sleep by the clock. Or if they're falling asleep during the day, or if you get a, a call from a teacher saying, "Hey, these, this uh, your child's falling asleep." So those are just some some overall recommendations. And again, every child is different. You may have you know a child that that really can get by on a little bit less sleep. Although you know these are particularly when they're younger, those are those are a little bit uh, hard numbers um, to go by. But uh, they you may have a child that maybe can have one or two hours less sleep or more. Uh, you just have to individualize that as best as possible. Uh, another thing about normal sleep and normal sleep patterns is, uh, as you probably know, there's different stages of sleep. And there's two big categories. There's uh, there's different ways you can look at this with the different stages of sleep. Uh, but from a, a child's standpoint, there's uh, non-REM sleep. This is non-rapid eye movement sleep and REM sleep. Uh, now, REM sleep is uh, that portion of sleep uh, where you have rapid eye movements, you have decrease in mus- muscle tone as a young infant. Uh, Most infants are going into this fairly quickly when they initiate their sleep uh, patterns. When they first fall asleep within the first few minutes, they can enter into REM sleep. Usually as you get older up into uh, later adolescence and adulthood, though, uh, this comes later. And then you have cycles. So you'll cycle in and out of rapid eye movement or REM sleep every 90 to 120 minutes. Uh, as an older adolescent or as an adult and REM sleep is thought to be very important in laying down of new memories and learning Uh, there's a lot of things within the that are happening within the brain itself during these time periods uh, that are important and if you interrupt that sleep they've done some studies on adults uh, that if you interrupt this uh, REM sleep and they even if they get more sleep if it's non rapid eye movements or if they have medical conditions that prevent that uh, they have a lot of the same problem difficulties with laying down memories uh, recalling different things performing complex uh, cognitive tasks now non rapid eye movement sleep um, has a couple of different uh, you can break it down into a couple of different patterns uh, or time periods, uh, the first stage of of that is usually the lightest, and it's usually the initial uh, time period of falling asleep. You may be, be sort of somnolent and a little bit hard to to arouse as you fall off to sleep, and that progresses into a deep uh, non REM sleep with a high arousal threshold. Uh, so if um, you know if you try to wake them up, uh, they're not really doing much. And these this is important too. Certainly, there's different hormone uh, changes during the non-rapid eye movement sleep. And again, it does alternate with a rapid eye movement. But anything that disrupts this normal cycle of sleep in a child or an adult, uh, you can have downstream effects uh, that uh, can be um, negative on the body's natural processes. So uh, you have to have that quality of sleep. So we talked about quantity. Now we're talking about the quality of sleep. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and we're talking about sleep disorders today. Got plenty of time for you to call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 Would love to hear your questions about sleep in your child. Uh, maybe they're doing some strange stuff. Give us a call. We'll try to tackle that question and give you an answer. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to be continuing our discussion about sleep.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here and trying to keep you awake by talking about sleep. Seems like this, pro- this uh, program should air like at 8 o'clock at night. With a low voice, lights down. So that would really put you to sleep. So, we're talking about all the issues around sleep in your family, why it's important, why you should value that. Maybe take, uh, there's plenty of people out there that are probably listening and thinking, huh, there's some things about my child's sleep that just haven't added up. And maybe there's some things that are going on uh, that we could uh, prevent some of those bad outcomes. From either a decrease in the number of hours of sleep or a decrease in the quality of sleep, uh, you can call us this morning with those questions by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. So here's an email from a new mom who says, "I've heard a lot about uh, sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS from friends. In fact, I have one friend of a friend." whose child unfortunately died of SIDS. I'm terrified about this with a newborn... Uh, in our home. How can I decrease the risk of SIDS in my family? That's an excellent question, Um, one that we talk about a lot with new mothers and certainly um, is talked about a lot before you go home with that new baby. And a lot of misconceptions about SIDS. What SIDS is is Southern Infant Death Syndrome. Uh, It is a type of uh, complication from the sleeping environment uh, in newborns, usually affects newborns up to around age six months, uh, but can be up to a year. And unfortunately, we have about 3,500 cases of uh, sleep environment um, uh, deaths uh, in uh, infants less than uh, one year of age. About 45% of these will be caused by SID sudden infant death syndrome, and the other Uh, About 24% have been identified as accidental uh, suffocations or strangulations in the bed. So there are some risks for this. Uh, If your baby is premature, if they have any kind of respiratory, chronic respiratory condition or neurologic condition, uh, that can put them at increased risk of sudden infant death syndrome. But most of the risk occurs with the sleeping environment. Now, it's not just what's in the bed, it's what's in the atmosphere, too, so certainly... uh, anybody who's smoking in the home or smoking around the child if they're exposed to cigarette smoke it changes the way that they uh they can sleep safely and uh and they can uh potentially stop breathing at night the most uh the best thing you can do to help prevent sids is called putting your is the back to sleep program so back in the 70s when we first identified uh this as a major health problem in children uh, a lot of kids were being put on their stomachs to sleep uh you know, right when you came home. And while they uh, certainly uh, don't sometimes don't move around a lot uh, and can sleep a little bit better, there was an increased risk of, of sudden infant death syndrome with that position. So that's when we initiated the Back to Sleep program nationally, and we saw a dramatic decrease in the amount of SIDS deaths Uh, Nationwide when we did that really remarkable about just saying, you know, put your put your child on their back. Uh, Avoid, uh, you know, wrapping them up with blankets or having loose materials around that uh, in the crib area. You know, it looks good. It looks real frou frou, particularly if you got a young young, uh, you know, uh, girl. Uh, new baby that's in there and you want to make things look really good. Uh, but it is a big risk. And while they may not can roll over, they can squirm around. And once that face gets up against that and it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a lot of material around the mouth and nose, to put them at risk for not breathing. So what we recommend is a crib uh, that is uh, approved. There's a Consumer Product Safety Commission website. If you'd uh, like to to know about that, just email us at kids at mpbonline.org, and we can get that to you. And the mattress just needs to be a a firm mattress with a tight-fitting sheet and it's not recommended to put blankets or pillows between the mattress and the fitted sheet, and never put your baby to sleep on a waterbed, a cushion, cushion or a sheepskin. That's just a bad idea. Uh, If you need to increase the temperature in the room, certainly uh, it's better to do that with a thermostat rather than putting a lot of layers on there. And again, keeping loose objects away from that. Breastfeeding is protective uh, for whatever reason. We don't totally understand that, but we know it's protective that, uh, kids who are breastfed have lower incidence of SIDS and, uh, you know, telling your physician about all those kinds of subtle things can be good too. So if you have any kind of questions about the way that your child is sleeping, uh, ask your doctor when you go for those, those well child visits and, you know, don't skip those because you, sometimes you can pick up on some things before they happen. Um, Those are the main causes uh, or at least risk factors of sudden infant death syndrome. And and for the most part, uh, you know, a lot of people worry about things like uh, molding of the the skull. If if the baby sleeps on their back, will their head be misshapen? Uh, You know, while they're awake, certainly you want them to have what we call tummy time. And that's, you know, if they're awake, put them on their stomach. Um, I always want to watch them with that. But if they're sleeping, just put them on their back. And it's amazing how quickly babies will adapt to that, and they'll get the hang of it just like they get the hang of other things. Let's go to Sarah in Oxford. Good morning, Sarah. Hi. Thank you for calling. What's your question this morning?
0: Um, I have a 5-year-old boy, and um, we've had some
1: behavior issues, especially in the very early morning. He has to get up you know, around
0: 545 to get on the bus in time to go to school. Um, but we're having epic meltdowns every morning with putting on shoes and socks and getting
1: dressed, and um, we're also having some behavior issues at school of not being able to settle down. We're getting a lot of feedback about playing and just being distractive. Um, we're, you know, I guess my first question is how much,
0: how much does – sleep affect the behavior like that and what is the optimal amount of sleep for a five-year-old boy
1: yeah that's a great questions so The the answer it you know is sleep a factor in that it can be uh so that's one of the first things that i would you know ask you know how are you initiating that sleep process for him um you know in the family 5 year old should get anywhere between 10 and 12 hours of sleep so that's that's a lot. So if you do the math, you know, if they're having to get up at 5, 5.30 in the morning, then they're going to have to, you know, get to bed a lot earlier than most people think. And, okay. the you know, how they get to bed, too... And their room environment is something to think about. If they have lights on in the room, um, if they have a lot of activity, if they have a TV in the room, that's that's a no no. That can certainly, even if they you know have it off, if there's a TV in there, or if they have something that they can do like a phone or an iPad, uh, that can keep them aroused, keep their brain aroused to the point where they're not likely to go to sleep. That we have these little. Receptors in the back of our eye; these little cells that help regulate these cycles that are connected directly to the brain, um, and their main job is to detect certain wavelengths of light. And it, it, you know, works on some of the the wavelengths that we have in natural sunlight. Well, there's a lot of the same blue spectrum lights in a lot of the lights we use in our homes, in our screens, whether that's a phone, a TV, an iPad. Um, so that if you're exposed to that your brain is getting all these signals to stay awake and it's not initiating that process of going to sleep. So, you know, getting the environment all uh, set up for that is, is one thing. Uh, I would also ask, you know, particularly about those behaviors about, about eating, uh, you know, are you, is he eating before he goes to school? Cause uh, you know, a lot of kids, uh, they won't be able to concentrate if they're not at least eating something uh, before they go to school. So that's important too. Um, so there's yeah, there's a lot of things that, that you could, you know, look at beforehand. If you if you're suspecting something about sleep, then you know, I think that's a good place to start to try to maybe improve that uh, and make sure that when they're in the bedroom, that's for sleep only. It's not for games or other activities or things like that. But yeah, ten, okay. uh, 10 to twelve hours is what you need to shoot for. Um,
0: that sounds good. Uh,
1: yeah. And there's some there's some other, you know, um, there's some other Red flags that may come up if, you know, if you pick him up from school or you're going somewhere during the day and he easily falls asleep in the car, that may be a red flag that they're not getting enough sleep. Certainly sleep disordered breathing at night can be another factor. So if they have some loud snoring periods or they sound like they're gasping for breath in the middle of the night, um, if they are overweight or obese, that's something to at least consider uh, and talk to your physician about maybe even get, going to see a sleep specialist.
0: Okay, that
1: sounds great. Thank you so much. Sure, thank you for calling, Sarah. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, you really had to be a detective. That's one of the things I like about pediatrics is you have to be a detective. You know, it's uh, it, it, I wouldn't say it's easier in taking care of adults, but certain certainly most adults if you ask them questions, they can describe things about what's happening to them. Uh, fairly easily. Harder to do with kids, though. you got to uh, sort of be a Sherlock Holmes type of physician when you're doing that. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy. We're talking about sleep disorders and how to have some healthy sleep in your home. would love to hear from you. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about some of the disorders of sleep. And... Listening to your questions, 1-877-MPB-RING is the number to call if you have any questions, or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit MPBOnline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens.
1: I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about sleep problems today, keeping you awake, hopefully. So how can you deal with those when they're affecting your children, your family? What are some of the warning signs for those? We're talking about a couple of different things. Just got through talking about the amount of sleep and the quality of sleep and how that might can affect behavior and performance in the daytime. It is interesting, um, the research that's gone on in sports Um, Professional sports organizations and uh, even, uh, you know, drilling down into uh, college and high school and and how important that is. If you take uh, particularly if you're playing, you know, a lot of sports uh, uh, games or training sessions during a week, you really have to increase the amount of of sleep that you're getting, you know, I can think of, of one, uh, that's, uh, that's incredibly important. If you take the tour de France, if you know that it's, uh, you know, long rides on a bike every day, high rates of speed, really, uh, you're talking about people losing, you know, 20 pounds of weight during the tour de France. Um, and these guys aren't fat by the way. I mean, they lose a lot of muscle mass, you know, they can sleep in addition to sleeping at night when they get through with a, with a leg, they can sleep up uh, to uh, you know two to three hours uh, for a nap during the day in, in addition to that. So they can be looking at 10 to 12 hours of sleep easily uh, while they're participating in that event. Uh, same thing with Olympic athletes. So sleep is important. It does affect how you do things uh, and you certainly need it for day to day, the way the body works day to day. Let's talk about a couple of things that might um, affect the quality of your sleep that you really can't cause per se, but uh, they happen sometimes, particularly uh, in in the childhood ages. You know, one is a nightmare. And uh, nightmares are part of the things that happen, part of the sort of the parasomnias that happen at night um, uh, as you sleep. And uh, nightmares usually uh, occur anywhere from about 18 months of age to six years of age. Uh, but really, any age can have that. I mean, that's something that can occur at any age, even adulthood with intense dreams. Uh, so those these are scary dreams uh, that can often happen during the second half of the night, and that's usually, you know, most people don't remember all the dreams, or you may not remember any dreams at all, but the second half of the night or the second half of your sleep cycle, that's, that's when you dream more, so you have an increase of that. And it's mo- more intense dreams during that period. And usually a child will wake up, they'll wake up crying or feel afraid. They may be afraid to go back to sleep uh because they're going to be in the same situation they may be a little bit confused when they wake up as well these are normal Nobody understands why they can be tied to events that happen during the day. In fact, uh, you know increased nightmare activity uh, can be associated with traumatic events that the child is witnessing. There may even be mild traumatic events. maybe it's a news story uh, that came on about terrorism, or maybe it's something that's happening, maybe bullying at school, uh, a change in the dynamics of the family. All these things can affect uh, nightmares and certainly how they affect us. So there's a couple of things you can do if your child is having a nightmare. Uh, the, the one thing, you know, that, that uh, having mom or dad right there with them right after that or right as they're scared is a big thing. So going to them as quickly as possible when you usually hear them, if they're crying out uh, or if they're calling out for you, assure them that you're there and you're not going to let let anything harm them. So safety is a big issue with them, just knowing that you're there and aren't going to let anything harm them. And encouraging them to tell you exactly what happened in the dream. And, you know, this is similar to what uh, a lot of therapy is for PTSD Uh, Or traumatic events or phobias that you recount what is happening over and over sort of to extinguish that fear over time So recounting the details of that, you know, a lot of parents would say, why would I want to do that? Uh, Why would I want to take their mind back to those things? Because they can, if the, the more they think about it, the less they'll lose the emotional fear about it So talking about it is exactly what you need to do But you need to remind them that dreams are not real uh, even though they may seem that way, particularly when they wake up, they're not real. Um, but telling about what happened in the dream uh, is useful. And in this situation, you can have a light on, you know, maybe in a closet or a bathroom, just as sort of a um, a um, um, reminder to the child, you know, that that there is safety there. And uh, in, in, uh, you, know, you know, if they're particularly if they're scared about that pitch black room, and then once your child is ready, encourage them to go back to sleep. I mean, that is sort of what you want to goal set to get them back to that point. And there, you can also see if there's something that's uh, scaring your child, like shadows in the room. Uh, maybe there's some noises, something knocking up against the window outside. Trim the bushes or the hedges or the tree limb that's doing that. Uh, that maybe. You know, either tying to that nightmare or maybe even initiating those nightmares. But usually you can do those things to help uh, them get over that. If they're more intense, a lot of times a a child psychologist can help out with cognitive behavioral therapy, walking them through that. Uh, You can do directed dreaming, so you can maybe not change the whole thing, particularly with repetitive nightmares that the child is having, that maybe they can change certain aspects of that. So having them think about that before they go to sleep and how they're going to change that situation maybe at the end of it. Uh, if somebody's chasing them, uh, that maybe the person who's chasing them falls in a hole and they get away. Or maybe, you know, the child um, sprouts wings and flies away from them. So there's all kinds of things that you can plant in their mind uh, with time that can help them uh, turn that nightmare around. So that's one of the things. Nightmares are incredibly common. Everybody's had at least one uh, if you can remember dreams, you probably have had uh, an instance. Now, again, some people don't don't remember uh, the dreams that you have. Uh, sleep terrors or night terrors, uh, they occur mostly in toddlers, whereas nightmares can occur, occur at any age. Uh, sleep terrors or night terrors occur usually between about 18 months uh, to school age. And what happens is this, these happen during some of the deepest parts of sleep. Uh, usually it's earlier in the night as opposed to nightmares, which are later in the night, uh, often before you, maybe you have gone to sleep. Maybe you're still up and your child's gone to sleep. But they can cry uncontrollably, scream out blood-curdling cries. Uh, they can be sweating, shaking, uh, breathing really fast. Uh, they'll tell you that they're terrified. Maybe they're confused. They may not look like that they're awake. Uh, uh, completely. Um, They may not respond to you in the way that they normally would, or they may not even recognize you at that point. Uh, They may even try to push you away. So from a parent standpoint, you can see how this would be incredibly frustrating to try to comfort your child while all these things are happening. Uh, happening and they can last as much as 45 minutes. Uh, although most are a little bit shorter than that. And most of the time they fall right back to sleep in, in, uh, you know, contrast to nightmares where it sort of sets them on this pattern of not wanting to go back to sleep with night terrors. They fall right back to sleep without any problems. um, so, and and most of the time they're not able to remember this. The day before, uh, the the day after, when you say, "Hey, Susie, why did you do you remember what happened last night?" They'll say, "No, nah, I'm fine." So there are some things that you can do. The biggest thing is stay calm, uh, because it's incredibly frightening to see the types of behavior that they have, and um, most of the time the child is much more frightened. Um. um are, uh, about it to the, uh, for the parent to deal with. Uh, don't try to wake up your child. Actually, you can prolong the episode if you do that. So just being there. Making sure that they don't hurt themselves is probably one of the biggest things that you can do. If they try to get out of bed, gently restrain them or reorient them to the bed. And just remember, after a short time, they're probably going to relax and fall back to sleep again. Um, if they do have... You know, night terrors, you do want uh, that are repetitive. You want to tell babysitters about that and what they need to do. Um, you know, to sort of reorient them. And if they persist, you can talk to your child's doctor. Again, cognitive behavioral therapy might be useful or they might need a sleep study to sort of see what's going on. A sleep diary with either of these things can be important. Um, We talked about that a little bit uh, earlier in the hour with our caller. Um, You know, just some of the common things that you can keep up with, where your child sleeps, uh, do they sleep in the room all the time? Do you, are they back and forth at different places? Uh, and again, identifying that area as the primary place where they go to sleep. Uh, how much sleep that he or she normally gets at night, When, uh, what she needs to fall asleep. For example, do they need a favorite toy? Do they need a, a blanket? Do they need something to fall asleep? How long does it take for them to fall asleep? And how often are they waking up in the middle of the night? Uh, What do you need to comfort or console them when they wake up during the night? Um, How long is a nap during the day if they're still taking naps um, or are they taking naps at all? Sometimes that could be a problem if they're just not getting enough sleep during the day with a nap or two. You know, some older children, even up to about age 10 or 11, sometimes they'll take naps when they come home from school uh, and that's the key for them to getting that uh, that the amount of sleep that they need. And then any changes or stressors in the home. So if you track these things for a couple of weeks uh, and then go back to your doctor and talk to them about it, that'll give them a whole lot more clues and a better picture about what's going on with the sleep and wake cycle and what's going on while they're sleeping. Um, And they can help you out to try to deal with those. There are a couple of other things that can affect sleep that are less common in children than adults, but certainly confusional, um, um, sounds like Confucius, sorry, confusional arousal disorders. That's that happens during non-REM sleep. Well, where they uh, it's a bit like night terrors with that confusion that they have but without the terror part so they'll be sort of disoriented for an amount of time after the, when they uh wake up uh around those transition periods transition periods between uh one stage and another uh those can be problems and sometimes uh w- with all of these if you don't get enough sleep if you have a sleep deficit you can make all these things worse um so that's that's a first step to try to do that so One of the things that we also see a lot of is, um, you know, things that can affect sleep that are external. And certainly, as I mentioned, with, you know, with hypertension, one of the things that I normally ask a child or an adolescent that has high blood pressure uh, is about how they sleep. And i ask some of those same questions that we talked about in the sleep diary. But also I ask questions about, uh, you know, have you ever witnessed them snoring loudly when they sleep? I know the person who's snoring usually can't. Uh, say anything about that, um, uh, comment about that, and if they do, uh, do they uh, have periods of time when they're breathing when it sounds like they stop breathing for a while? And when we ask those questions, you know, it can be alarming to some patients. You can be scared to death when your doctor asks you, you know, are they stopping breathing at night? What we're really talking about is a period of of more than twenty seconds, um, uh, which is is true apnea uh, apneic episodes. Um, and you may or may not be able to witness that, and Um, Most of these kids spontaneously, you know, get back into that breathing pattern, uh, but they'll have uh, some of these snoring episodes. Now, contrary to adult sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea, uh, it's not quite as pronounced sometimes in kids. You can have kids that have a lot of excess tissue in the back of their throats and uh, like uh, excess uh, tonsillar tissue. Maybe their tonsils are kissing, like we, we say that, because when you look in the back of their throat, they might be touching each other. Or they may have an increase in some of the soft tissues uh, where you can't see, like higher up in the in the airway, uh, the posterior uh, throat or pharynx, uh, adenoidal tissue, which is another type of of tissue that's similar to tonsils, which is really just a bunch of, of lymph nodes type tissue that's there. All these things can sometimes obstruct the airway, particularly when they're relaxed. Uh, during those times of sleep, when they have decreased muscle tone, you get the same thing in the back of your throat and, uh, in your airway, and it can be a little bit floppy and cause some obstruction. But usually sleep apnea, uh, occurs in anywhere to one to 3% of the pediatric, uh, population, pediatric and adolescent population. Um, 10 to 20% of snoring is totally normal. So, you know, if, if most kids that are, that are snoring are not going to have any problems, Uh, you know, with sleep apnea. So if they're just snoring, that may not be a problem unless they have some other symptoms or other risk factors for that. But there are some uh, other um, uh, chronic medical problems, uh, chronic anatomical problems that can put you at risk for sleep apnea. And then we would ask a little bit you know, in more depth, more frequently, even if they're not having problems. Down syndrome is one, just because of the facial structure is a little bit different, um, that would put you at risk for having uh, sleep apnea and other craniofacial syndromes as well. That just maybe has a little bit different structure pattern. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're finishing up our talk about sleep today, but plenty of time for you to sneak in a question or two. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can send an email to kids at mpBonline.org. We'll be right back after this break.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about sleep, how important it is, and some of the things that could affect the sleep of your children or your family and impact the rest of their lives. Got some... Great info here for you, and uh, just to think about it, that's the biggest thing. I think some of the times we talk about topics like this, just hoping that you take a look at your children, sort of observe what's going on there, and there may be some clues about what's going on to their other behaviors uh, that might be linked back to sleep. You never know, because it can affect so much. Now, one of the questions that that I get every once in a while is premature babies. If you have a a baby that was born premature, how do the sleep patterns differ for them? And we've mostly what we talked about earlier was normal sleeping behaviors and uh, normal sleep and wake cycles. So a preterm baby, um, they're not going to sleep through the night for many months. Uh, usually they it's going to take them a lot longer. Um, and, you know, I try to tell parents that just because you don't want to get frustrated because your baby, even though they're two months of age and maybe some of your friends, you know, have a term baby and yours was six to eight weeks premature, And their baby's sleeping all night long, yours isn't yet. What's the difference there? Well, it's because of that prematurity. And usually you have sort of a transition period with that. Um, uh, where you it's, it takes a little bit longer to do that. So usually by four months of age, most babies are sleeping at least six to eight hours a night. But if you have a baby that's premature, you're probably looking at anywhere to six to eight months or maybe even later in some uh, situations. So it's important that you can, you can help a baby of any age, but uh, in particular for premature babies, Help them get to sleep and understand when it's time to go to sleep. Uh, playing with them during the daytime, awake periods, that keeps them active. Uh, some, uh, you know, when when it's time to wake up, particularly as they get older, uh, you can do that. Keep night feedings as quiet and as businesslike as possible. Um, if they're breastfeeding, just do the breastfeeding, don't do anything else, and then it's time to go to sleep. Um, minimal lighting or soft lighting so you want the lights a little bit lower at night and this will help your baby sort of learn the difference between those day and night cycles and it might help you you know uh, get the much needed sleep that you need to get as a parent Uh, at the appropriate times. Uh, But it's just going to take a while to do that. Follow a routine. You know, there's lots of good books out there about doing this. You don't have to be militant about it. Certainly you can train a baby, but temperaments are determined at birth. Uh, And some kids will, yes, Jay White, he shot me a look. I'm like, yeah, uh uh-huh. One of my pediatric uh, uh, professors told me that, um, You know, and I thought, huh, I bet you can change some of this. Nope, you can modulate it, but you can't change it. So uh, I've seen way too much of that, that a really anxious infant is probably going to have that little special personality a little bit later. Um, But you can work with it. You can follow a routine that works for you and your family and the individual uh, to try to do that. Um, You know, crying, uh, you know, (laughs) It's difficult when your baby's crying in the middle of the night, particularly once you learn what that cry means. Um, Babies can train you, on the other hand. You know, we said you can't train a baby too much, but babies are really good at training you. So if they cry out in the middle of the night and they want comfort and you go in there and they're getting what they want. Uh, so a little bit of crying at night is normal. That's okay. Uh, so don't jump up at the first crying sound, uh, particularly again, as you get to know your baby, um, first couple of weeks or maybe even a couple of months, you're, you're trying to learn that, but a baby can learn self comforting skills to get back to sleep in the same way that you or I can do that. So you need to allow them to console themselves and go back to sleep on their own, um, And usually, you know, um, different things that they sleep with, again, you want them to be at least probably six to nine months of corrected age uh, that they might can, can have some of those things. Um, you know, to comfort them, to get them back to sleep. Uh, I got another uh, question the other day about um, uh, in a family who had somebody else who had uh, SIDS, you know, about the sleep apnea monitors. They really don't work too well, and they can keep you up at night. And, you know, again, there's not really any good way, if they are at risk, there's unfortunately not any good ways to uh, predict who's going to have a problem. Well, that's all the time we have for today, and go get some sleep tonight and get you some good one. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's been a production of the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered and produced by Jay White. Our call screener, I believe, was Jawa. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.